Well, it was exactly seven years ago this week that Miriam and I were packing boxes in our home in Chicago, beginning to load up a truck so that we could drive a couple of cats and a dog a thousand miles, almost exactly, door to door, from Chicago to Fort Collins, and begin this chapter of life and ministry here with you at First Presbyterian Church. Some say that seven is a biblical number. I'm not too sure what it means necessarily, but it kind of feels like we've been through a chapter of life together, and so maybe this fall, as we head into a new program year, we think of beginning this next chapter of ministry and life together, which is a lot of fun. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is by uh, welcoming and embracing and hopefully embodying together a new vision and mission statement for the church. It was about a year and a half ago in February of 2022 that a large gathering of church leaders met here for a weekend and began a conversation which, to make a long story a little shorter, concluded earlier this year by having crafted together and prayed and discerned together and articulated together a new vision and mission statement for our church, which we began sort of publicly launching and living into this week. You'll find it in your bulletin on page six. You'll find it on the website. But we're going to spend the next three weeks in worship looking at each of the three sections of this new vision and mission statement. You'll recognize in it some ideas and values that were present in our recent vision and mission statement, which was crafted in about 2014 by my predecessor, interim pastor Paul Parsons, and leaders at that time, to respond to what was happening in the life of the church at that time. And it feels like we're in a different place and it's time to both pull forward some of those ideas, but then also re-articulate and discern who we are now. And as an aside, let me clarify one thing that has come up with a few responses I've received from uh, a couple of you. A vision and mission statement is not a statement of faith. And it's not meant to, in uh, an exhaustive way, or even as a summary, to say everything that we believe in our life of faith. So you might read this vision and mission statement and say, well, but it doesn't say anything about this, or it doesn't clarify this about our belief. Well, not everything is in there. That's not the intention, to summarize everything about our faith. Instead, it's meant to be a clarification, a discernment about who we are as First Presbyterian Church in this particular time and place, in 2023, in Fort Collins, Colorado, in the community and the world in which we live, how is God calling us to most faithfully, effectively, and relevantly embody and express who we are as Christians in this community? That's the intention behind this updated vision and mission statement. So with that, I want to invite you this morning to uh, read with me the first part of this statement. And I think Michael's got this on the screen as well. First, the vision statement, the summary, and then the mission statement, the first third of which helps to say how we want to live into this vision. Uh, let's say this together. We seek to be a Christ-centered, open and welcoming community addressing the challenges of our time. That's our vision. And then the mission is how we live into that, and we're going to start today with the Christ-centered piece, 
which was a part of our former mission statement. So we're pulling some of that forward. And here are three of the ways that we want to live into being Christ-centered. Let's read this together, starting with we follow. We follow Jesus on our journey of faith, joyfully sharing the good news that God is revealing, while humbly confessing that we do not have all the answers. Next, we find unity and purpose in our common identity as brothers and sisters in Christ, drawing strength from our varied experiences and perspectives. And finally, we encounter God's truth and mercy through vibrant worship that features excellent music, communal prayer, and preaching that is grounded in scripture and made relevant in our lives today. No pressure, right? So that's how we want to live into being Christ-centered. And I want to take a little time today to unpack a bit more of that, more of what we mean by those mission statements of being a Christ-centered church. So we begin as we always do in Scripture, and this morning a selection from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. Listen to God's word for us today. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, Paul concludes, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my absence, but much more now in, uh, much more, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like the stars in the world. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. And let all God's people say, Amen. So we begin today with Christ-centered. What does it mean to be a Christ-centered community? Well, some would say, isn't every Christian church Christ-centered? 
After all, isn't that the point of being a Christian church? And in one way, yes, that's true. We would hope that every church is Christ-centered. But we have a particular way of thinking about and living into that here at First Presbyterian using a framework that I introduced seven years ago when we first started talking about this. It's a framework that originates with the late Dr. Paul Hebert, uh, a university and then seminary professor who pulled a concept from mathematics and sociology and applied it to uh, Christian communities. And I find it to be a really relevant and useful way of thinking about different kinds of church communities or different ways of being church together. He begins by talking about bounded sets, and I think we have a illustration. A bounded set in a community or society is where there's a clear boundary, that red circle, and that boundary makes it crystal clear in a black and white way who's in the group and who's out of the group. Now, some of those are just a natural part of life, right? Like, we could say a bounded set is people who drive Subarus. How many of you drive a Subaru? Yeah, it's Colorado, right? There's a lot of hands up. It's like the state car of Colorado. It's hard to find my Subaru in the parking lot because of all of your Subarus. Thank you very much. Well, that's a bounded set. You either drive a Subaru or you don't. That's just a really clear bounded set. Another one could be people who attended Colorado State University and are therefore alums. How many of you are an alum of CSU? Yeah, not surprising, right? Go Rams. Maybe they'll win more than two games this year. We don't know. (laughs) We live in hope. So those are really simple ways of thinking about a bounded set. But Paul Hebert is actually talking about something uh, a little more substantial when he gets at how a church operates in a bounded set mentality. And what he is describing is a church that has a very clear and often long list of beliefs and behaviors. You have to believe certain things and you have to behave in a certain way and have all of those boxes checked and then you're in. You're in the in group. You belong. Otherwise, you're out. You're part of the group that is not there. And a lot of energy in that environment goes into clarifying the boundaries, defending them, making sure that people who are out stay out, And people who are in, stay in. And in that environment, in order to make it simple and clear, often what's being looked at are these beliefs and behaviors which can very simply be identified. And there's less time focused on virtues like kindness and patience and love and gratitude and generosity which can't as easily be measured because these are virtues that we seek to live into and hopefully grow into over the course of time in our lives. The other thing about a bounded set is that it's static. You either get in or you're left out, and then you're there. You're simply there. It doesn't really acknowledge the fact that we're on a progressive journey of life, that we're always in motion, always learning, growing, stumbling, growing again. And so there's a lot about the bounded set that Hebert says is probably not very helpful when we think about how to create church community. Now, to be fair, you could simply remove the red circle and have no boundary at all. And if you were to do that, Hebert says, you'd be left with a fuzzy set. And if you have no boundary at all, it means that the only orientation is towards self, 
to be self-centered. And we know that that doesn't play out very well in the long term either. Because if you're self-centered, there's nothing to organize us to live in community together well. There's nothing directing us towards the common good or the greater good. So a bounded set doesn't work. A fuzzy set with no boundary doesn't really work well either. Instead, what Hebert prescribes for the church is to be a centered set church. And in a centered set model, there's no boundary, but there is a clear, compelling center. And for us, that is the person and the way of Jesus Christ. In a centered set model, it's about having something in the center, or in this case, someone, that attracts people to be in movement or in motion towards the center. If you've ever been at a corporate event or a nonprofit fundraiser in a big hotel ballroom, you know that at some point during the course of the night, they set up a dessert table in the ballroom. That becomes a centered set. <laughs> because everyone is compelled to make their way towards the center of the ballroom. Because there's cake and pie and brownies and cookies. Last night we had our first peach crumble with ice cream of the year. I'm still thinking about that peach crumble this morning. It was so good. It's compelling, and so it attracts you towards the center. That's how a centered set works. It's less concerned about a clear boundary and more concerned about compelling people towards the center to be in motion. It's more honest, I think, too, about the fact that we're all in different places. None of us have arrived. None of us have all the answers, as we just said together a few moments ago. And I want you to notice something else in this centered set. You see there at the very top left-hand corner, these figures are in the same construction as like a restroom sign, <laughs> right? So in the very top left-hand corner, you have a woman who is uh, making her way towards the center. She's living a Christ-centered life. Well, over there on the right, in the middle, you have a man who is also seeking to be a Christ-centered life. Right now, they are in very different places. They've lived different lives. They've had different experiences. They see the world in different ways. They have different perspectives. They probably vote differently because one is, well, one's on the left and the other's on the right. And yet, what they share is an intention in their lives to live in a Christ-centered way. From where they are today, they are seeking to move towards a more Christ-like way of living their lives. And I think that is what we are trying to get at, to recognize some of the grace that is allowed in that kind of space that recognizes that people are just coming from a different place, a different perspective in their lives. Now, if we want to be Christ-centered, then we also need to spend a little time trying to understand who Jesus was and what Jesus was about. After all, it's not just enough to say that we're Christ-centered. We have to clarify then who Christ was and what Christ is calling us to be and to do. Here I want to pause for a little commercial message. One of the ways we do that, of course, is by studying Scripture, by reading about the life of Christ and others who write about the God made known to us in Christ throughout the Old and New Testament of the Scripture that leads and directs our lives. This fall, we're going to begin a program starting on Sunday, September 3rd, and continuing all the way through May, where together we're going to follow the same scripture lesson each week. 
our children, our youth, our adult Sunday school class after worship in the morning will all use the same text that I'm using to preach on in worship. And that way we're all not only learning together and deepening our own understanding of Christ in order to be more faithfully Christ-centered, but doing that as a community allows opportunity for us to have dialogue and conversation together across all ages and stages of life. So parents can go home with children who have looked at the same text, and together in coffee hour, we can talk about and reflect on the same text. We can push and nudge each other to live in this more Christ-centered way. In order to reflect on the nature and character of Christ, well, it would take years to do that. And I won't try to summarize all of that this morning. Instead, I want to look at just one aspect of many this morning. And it's an aspect that Paul highlights in the text I read from Philippians. Paul is clearly addressing a community in Philippi that is in conflict, that's in tension over some disagreements. You don't write to people and plead with them to be of one mind unless you know that they are not of one mind. (laughs) Right? So we know that he's writing into a place where there is already some tension and disagreement. And he appeals to them in that, yes, to love and compassion, but ultimately in those opening verses, he appeals to humility. Regard others as better than yourselves. Look to the needs of others rather than to your own needs. And he suggests this virtue because it is following the example of Jesus Christ himself, who, in verse 7, Paul writes emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Servant is a better translation of that word doulos in Greek than slave. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and taking on human form, coming down from heaven to be present with us and to live our life with us on earth. The incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel. And that verb where Christ empties himself in verse seven, in verse seven, comes from the Greek word kanao, uh, which we get the English word kenosis. And kenosis means to be self-emptied, to be selfless in contrast to being self-centered. And part of what we're getting at here is that we are emptying ourselves of our need to be right, of that temptation that we all have that feels so good to grasp tightly onto rigid certainty. We all know that feeling. We want to be right about the views that we hold. And that's not to suggest that we're never right about the views that we hold. It's about a posture. It's about a way of carrying ourselves. And when we're able to let go of that part of our ego, to empty ourselves as Christ in kenosis emptied himself, then we can carry ourselves with a little more humility and make space for a little bit of gracious curiosity to approach each other with curiosity. And what happens when we do that is that when we find ourselves in conversation or dialogue with someone with whom we disagree, because they are coming at it from a different place in their world, instead of trying to resolve that disagreement with who among us is right or wrong, we can instead approach it with a curiosity of who are you? Where are you coming from? Why do you hold that view? What does that mean for you? And if together we share this intention to be Christ-centered, how are you from that place and that view trying to look through a lens of Christ-centeredness like I am from my very different view heading towards that same direction? It's a very different way of encountering one another. 
that provides a lot more hospitality and grace and community. Let me give you an example from this last week. Our FPC Reads group here at First Presbyterian this month is reading a book by Dr. Kate Bowler. She's a seminary professor who early in her life was diagnosed with stage four cancer as a young uh, woman, wife, and mother. And she chronicles in this book her own journey of wrestling with her faith. She was shaken a little bit out of some of her bounded set thinking about faith, deconstructed. The title of the book is Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I Have Loved. Well, as we read that book together this week, some people were coming at that perspective from different places. Because some people believe everything happens for a reason. Other people weren't so sure everything happens for a reason. It really pressed some deep thoughts about our theology, how we carry ourselves in the world, how we understand the nature and character of God, how we wrestle with the coexistence of God's goodness and power with the presence of evil in our lives and the world. These are deep, hard, substantial questions that get at the foundation of our faith. And not surprisingly, the 20 or or so of us that sat around had different expressions of that, different beliefs about that. And instead of seeing that as a problem that needed to be resolved, we instead were able to hear each other, to listen to each other, to trust that we are in this space together as Christ-centered disciples who are all seeking to be more Christ-centered but currently come from very different places. And we could be enriched by the different experiences and perspectives that people brought to the circle that night instead. That's what we try to get at when we talk about being a Christ-centered church. So, what's at stake for us? What's at risk for us in seeking to be a centered set rather than a bounded set? I want to give you just one example from this past week. I got to have coffee on Wednesday with my good friend Amy Morgan. Amy is the pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Loveland, just down the road. And as Amy and I were talking together this week, she was telling me about a young couple that have recently joined her church, a husband and wife. She said the husband had grown up in another church tradition, another denomination. In fact, his family had been in leadership there for generations. They were deeply shaped and formed by this tradition. It was very important to them. Coincidentally, it was also a denomination and tradition which does not believe that women can be in leadership in the church. It's their particular way of reading the Bible. It's their particular practice. But they've grown up in that church, have been involved. In fact, he was on staff at that church, leading their youth ministries and some other ministries. And during the pandemic, there was a Sunday morning when they were broadcasting their worship service, like we all were. Remember those days being on Zoom? watching worship. Welcome, those of you that are watching this morning online. And it was a Sunday when he was leading part of the service. Somebody else who was scheduled to lead that morning got sick and wasn't able to be there. So at the last minute, his wife jumped in on camera and led some of the liturgy and prayers that morning. And because they had broken a rule, he was fired from his job and they were kicked out of the church. That's one example of a bounded set community. And when Amy told me that, my heart broke for this young couple. 
And I thought to myself, kudos to them for making their way back. I said to Amy, in fact, Amy, I'm not necessarily surprised that they came to your church. What I'm really surprised about is that they went to any church after the experience that they had. Because we all know people, and we read the headlines every week, that people are leaving the church across the country from all kinds of denominations, and often because they have been wounded by the experience of their local church. And the vast majority of the time, they don't go back to any church. They go to brunch. And I get it. I totally get it. I don't blame them at all. Amy, I said, I'm just impressed that they came back to any church community, that they're trying to make it work with you all at First Press in Loveland. She said, I know, right? It's amazing. And yet, she said, here's the thing. And what she said next blew me away. She said, the thing is, they're hungry. They're still hungry for a place to call home, for a community to immerse themselves in, with friends, with sisters and brothers, where they can be seen and heard and known for who they really are, from where they really are. They're hungry for a place where they can bring their questions and their fears about this crazy world that we live in. They're hungry for a place where they can live with integrity into their values and beliefs, even, in, even if and especially when they're in a community with people who don't see the world in the same way that they do. Hungry for a place where they can honestly explore and wrestle with the challenges of our time, where they can be vulnerable and real. And I thought, as I was getting ready for this Sunday sermon, they're hungry for a centered set, for a Christ-centered community to call their own family of faith. And I get it. I totally get it, because I feel the same way. And I know that you do as well. We're hungry, aren't we? For a church community that isn't preoccupied with building walls and defending our boundaries. When I look out at the world around us, I see that there are already more walls than we need, dividing us one from another. The world doesn't need any more walls separating us. We're hungry for a place where we can bring our hard questions from a complex life and not worry that we're going to be fed overly simplistic answers that dismiss your experience or insult your intelligence. We're hungry, aren't we, for a place where you can share your struggles and not worry that you'll be condemned for not having enough faith or not being courageous or strong enough. Hungry for a community where you can express your doubts, even your doubts about God and the promises of God, when those promises feel far away because the world is not as it should be or your life hasn't turned out as you had hoped it would. We choose, we are choosing today, aspiring today to be a Christ-centered community. And our hope here is that you will find that you're surrounded by sisters and brothers in faith who seek you out, who pray for you and care for you and walk alongside you, not because they're just like you or you're just like them, but because we share this intention to be Christ-centered in our lives. I'm hungry for that kind of community, and I bet you are too. I'm even more hungry for it today than I was seven years ago, especially because of all that we've experienced together in the last seven years and what I know we will continue to experience together in the months and years to come. 
Friends, we commit today not to be a place preoccupied with building walls, but inviting others from wherever they are, from wherever you and I are, to join us on a journey, a journey of love and compassion, of kindness and generosity, and as hard as it is sometimes, a journey of humility, (laughs) in which we're emptied of self as Christ was, so that we can better be turned with compassion towards one another. And in doing so, we'll be a shining witness to the power of the love and grace of God. We will, well together, we will shine like stars in the world. Amen.